When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to Tennis Unfiltered. Uh, I apologise for not having done any daily pods for a couple of days. Um, as those of you who have listened to our tribute to Mike Dixon, it, it's been a tough few days and um, I didn't really have the energy to, or frankly hadn't watched a huge amount of tennis for reasons that I hope are fairly obvious to everyone concerned. But we're back. It's day seven um, I'm podding with a view of the city and I've got Calvin who, even though I've flown 10,000 miles around the world to see him, still can't manage to be in the same room as me. But anyway, I've got him. So that's all that matters. Yeah, resplendent. I mean, Calvin, is this your favourite Man United away shirt? It's for, for, for people listening, it's the blue sharp shirt. It's, uh, it's the 1988 one. Uh, it's one of my favourite ones. Uh, my favourite all time, all of the kits is the 1985 ones, which is has the bad it's very similar to this but the badge is in the middle right okay um, good but yeah and then but yeah they're, they're, they're red white red uh, red home white away blue third yeah very good um we we started a little bit late calvin because you were uh trapped watching nuno borges fourth set tiebreak against Grigor dimitrov which he won to beat dimitrov and reach the fourth round of the australian open uh, you spent a lot of time with nuno this week uh, yeah, he's. I'm. I'm really, really happy over the moon for him. Let out a bit of a fist pump when he won there because he, he's such a great lad. He really is a great lad. Um, and yeah, he's. He's basically his best friends with uh, Francisco Cabral, who's Henry's doubles partner. Uh, and Henry knows him really well as well because they've played. He's played against him a few times, and I think um, he went to college at the same time as him. Um, and they've obviously spent loads of time together. Um, so we watched the first set on on the court uh, with. Um, his coach and uh, Francisco Cabral and me and Henry and then I mean, then he lost the first set um, on a breaker which it was so tight the first set and then Nuno played three really bad points at the end of the breaker and then he went then Dimitrov held serve first game of the second set and then he had 15-40 on Nuno's serve and you feel like that would have been game over if he'd have broke him there um, Nuno held and then took charge of the match from there Um but yeah, I, the tie break was nervy from both players. Nuno was a double break up and then lost both his service points. Then he got a break up and then double faulted by a mile um, from <laughs> there. And then then Dimitrov double faulted. Um, to, no, so then then Dimitrov hit a brilliant return on the next point, and then Dimitrov immediately double faulted. Then they had a long rally and he netted one, and then Nuno Nuno won the last point. But yeah, just just really happy for him. Um, he's a very very good player as well. It is not a name that many people would have been expecting to read in the fourth round uh, of the Australian Open. Certainly not one to knock out the in-form Brisbane champion Grigor Dimitrov. What, what, what? Can you explain how how Nuno's had such a good run this week? I mean, he's he's a very he, if you get if he gets through the old the new balls, which you spoke a lot about tennis balls. I know if he gets through them, he's a nightmare for anybody to play against on these courts because he never ever misses a ball. He's a great returner. 
and he never ever misses and he hits the ball flat and hard and deep and it's very difficult to attack him um mm. when that when that starts happening and he, he he will work his socks off he's competitive um he's mentally strong um and yeah like i say he, he's going to be he's going to be tough for anybody to beat on these he's only lost one set in three matches mm. And I suppose, you know, you said that to me earlier when we were watching some doubles. And do you think there's an element to which we should maybe reconsider this draw a little bit and think, you know, some clay quarters are really going to enjoy these conditions? Yeah, I think so. But I mean, it's one of those I don't know whether the clay quarter really exists anymore. I, th- I think yeah. it's like, apart from the sliding, I think there's slow court players and there's fast court players. And, mm. and I think that that Nuno on a on a slower court is is tough. He's tough for people. He's tough to beat um, for those for those reasons. I don't know who he plays next. Actually, it's Daniil Medvedev in the fourth round. I mean, there's there's going to be some good length hitting in that match. <laughs> um, I'm certain about that. Like, because Nuno does hit a length, and Medvedev barely hits a ball ever inside the service line. Mm. So there won't be many volleys. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of volleys, Calvin, I've just watched Cam Norrie volley his way into the fourth round, which is not something I thought I would ever say. Um, he beat Casper Ruud in four sets. Casper Ruud is now uh, one and three in his last four matches against Brits. Cam Norrie, only his second ever win over a top 20 player at a Grand Slam, which again, a stat that slightly surprised me to read it, but uh, it is certainly true. I can tell you that. Um 56 times Norrie ended up at the net, Calvin. He's not someone I've ever thought of as a great volleyer, but I know he's had a, an off-season with Stephen Huss, who's a former Wimbledon doubles champion. I don't know if he's going to do this every week, but it certainly looks good when he does. I mean, I think it's more he's probably figured out that, you know, where he is in his game and where Kasper Ruud is in his game, if you try and go baseline to baseline with him, that you're going to lose the match more often than not. And I think he thought, right, well, I'll, I'll lose it from the baseline. I might get, I'm going to come to the net. I might, I might lose it from the net, but I'm definitely going to lose it from the baseline, probably. Mm. Uh, I mean, how big a switch is that for a player to make? Because I think, and, and I, I agree with you to an extent, that what, what it requires you to do is say, my game is not good enough to win this match. I've got to play a different way. I mean, for a for a professional player who's reached, you know, pretty much the top of the game, and let's not forget Cam Norrie's been a top 10 player, that must be a very hard mindset shift, mustn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't see the match enough to comment on it, but, you know, players like to think they're comfortable in all areas, just got to play a little bit more aggressive. And, you know, I, I don't know whether it was a, a, a concerted, like, game plan to do that or whether he just had a lot of opportunities with the balls he was hitting I doubt he was like full on chipping and charging and that kind of thing but um, I mean it was you know, pretty maybe much get... as you say it wasn't much of a chip and charge but I mean it pretty much was get a half decent strike into Casper Ruud's backhand and then go which I suppose is yeah, kind th- of what you were saying to yeah. me yeah I, th- I think that's that's why I was surprised that he had a bad record against Casper Ruud previously because Kasparov's backhand isn't great. He has, he has a really very good forehand, but his, his backhand is pretty average in the top 10 in the game. Um, or as soon as we're at the Australian Open, they would describe it as ordinary, wouldn't they? Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, other cricket players would. Um, yeah. But which, which ordinary seems to mean shit over here. Um, <laughs> but um, um, yeah, I'd say he's got a pretty ordinary backhand and... 
I was surprised that Norris didn't have a great record against him because Noz is normally a bit of a nightmare for right-handers who don't have very good backhands because he's just going to mm. do that sort of little loopy thing that's a nightmare to hit because you've, you've got to hit it above shoulder height and it come in with no pace. So there's not much you can do with it other than give him the same ball back and he's then going to give you the same ball back. Mm. Um, he now plays in the fourth round. Well, we think it's going to be Alexander Zverev. He plays Alex Michelson tonight. Um, by the time you hear this, probably he will already will have played him. Assuming it is Alexander Zverev, I mean, he can't play the same game plan because you can't just hit it to Zverev's backhand and run to the net. It doesn't work. Um, I mean, what? how do you look at that matchup, Nori and Zverev? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be difficult. He can't. He's not going to be able to play the same thing there because Zverev does have a very good backhand and he's also very tall. Um, mm. So he, he, the, the actual height of Noz's ball won't affect him so much. Um, yeah. He does have that weird backhand that he goes in that he can hit cross court into Zverev's forehand, which isn't very good. Mm. So um, yeah, interesting. I don't know whether they've played before. I can't remember. I, I was just there. a great question. It's the kind of thing that a prepared podcast host has at their <laughs> fingertips. Uh, I'm not a prepared podcast host, so I don't know. They played one, two, th- three times, and Zverev has won in straight sets every time. Uh, four right, times, okay. in fact, and Zverev's won in straight sets every time. So, okay. yes, thus far, not yeah. a great matchup. But but I do think it's interesting to see Cam Norrie, and I've not spoken to him yet because he's not done press and doing it in about half an hour. But I do think it's interesting to see him, like for a guy who his whole accession to the top 20 has been I'm fitter than you and I won't miss to then take on a game plan that shortens points is is a real surprise and as you say come it might be a rude specific thing but you know he's never as I say he's only beaten one other top 20 player at slam and that was Diego Schwartzman at the US Open like um he's gonna if he's gonna beat good players you know, I remember that, I think the same year or so when he played Andre Rublev in the third round and he got absolutely taken apart because Rublev just hits the tennis ball better than he does. So I, I think if, if he is, if he does want to be a top 10 player, I think this is a decision that he's got to make. And I, I kind of admire him for doing it, to be honest, because, you know, just accepting that you're a certain level of player and saying, well, I'm just going to be 25 in the world. And as we've discussed, Calvin, you can just be 25 in the world you don't have to do that much to sort of maintain, do you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just remembered like a little observation I had about Camnori yesterday, and I think it was no, it must have been the day before when he played because it was when Henry and Fran were playing their first match. When he played, when it was it the day before when he played? Um, who did he beat? Zepieri, wasn't it? Zepieri, yeah. Um, and it was we'd got there at nine thirty, and I think Cam was for, we were first on at eleven, and I think Cam was first on at eleven also. And mm. about nine, no, we got that nine, but I was walking through the corridor to the men's change, away from the men's changing rooms at 9.30. And I saw Faku, um, who's Cam's coach, taking yeah. a massive plate into the men's changing room that was, it was huge. And it was just rice and steamed chicken breast at 9.30 <laughs> in the morning. And it was the, maybe the, the whitest meal I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and it looked really grim at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> But that sort oh, of told God. you what. But he ended up going, he went five sets, did he, or four yeah, sets? Yeah, he went all the way, five sets. Yeah, and he's probably down to that massive place of 
you know, that's obviously why he's doing his, his you know, he's loading up um, on yeah, yeah. carbs and what have you. So, um, clearly works. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, you mentioned that. I mean, we talked a bit about meal times for players. I mean, and actually, it came up the other day when, when Emma Adekanu went out against Wang Yifan, she had a bit of, well, she said it was sickness. And I think kind of reading between the lines because she wasn't totally clear on what had happened. She basically didn't eat before the match. Um, it, it can be complicated sorting out your meals and match times, especially on a day with delays, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we experienced that the other day with the doubles where Henry and Francesco played at 11 o'clock. So they got to the... I mean, Henry would eat breakfast before we left. We left, I think, that day, 11 o'clock. We left at quarter past eight. Um, the grounds are about 15 minutes away. Um and so he would have eaten his, his breakfast. I think he had porridge probably or oats or something. Um, then warmed up and he probably had like a banana and a b- banana and a muesli bar, I think, before they went on. But then the real problem came because then they got rained, rained off after an hour at 11. They basically didn't get back on properly. They went back on a couple of times and warmed up. But they didn't get back on properly. I think they probably came off at 12 and they didn't get back on properly until quarter past three. Mm. Um, now, in that time, they never told you. It wasn't like they came off at 12 and they said, you're going to be back on at quarter past three. During that time, you could have been back on in 15, 20, 25 minutes at any stage. So what they were basically having to do then was about every every half hour, they'd go and get like two pieces of sushi and, and <laughs> eat that. And then, you know, then see if, if we're going to go back on and then, you know, another... 40 minutes goes by, we're not back on, right? Go and get another two pieces of sushi and do it that way. Because obviously you can't you can't not eat because you might be out there, as they were for an, almost another two hours, mm. and you can't pile a load of food in because you might be on in 25 yeah, minutes, 15 minutes. So, yeah, so yeah, it, it can be a nightmare um, planning food. And like you said, like I said, you know, obviously the singles guys even more so because they need to preserve more energy so you end up with a situation where you're basically having a main meal first thing in the morning yeah and and i i something i always forget uh and like sometimes when you get a player has come straight off court and just comes in and does press especially after a long match you know if it's like a 6 p.m start as you often get at wimbledon if you're third on a center and they've gone five and maybe it's like 10 o'clock and you say, well, you know, how are you going to celebrate? And they're like, I'm absolutely starving because they won't have eaten yeah. since like, you know, three, three yeah. o'clock or whatever. So, yeah, it can be complicated. Well, the, um, the problem in that, the problem in that day as well with the food as well. So when Henry and Francesco finished, they they finished about five o'clock, showered, um, showered, and and you know, got up to the restaurant, and then they ate then at about quarter to six. Mm. And then the plan was then, so they've got, that's the only meal they've had. That's basically lunch, about yeah. four pieces of sushi. And then, so then the plan was, right, we're going to try and eat later. And then we hung around until about nine o'clock. And, you know, Henry was saying, I'm just not that hungry. Like, so he took a little bit more in, but then not a full meal. And then the next day, remarkably, they had to go back on and play the next day. And it was just a bit flat. And I don't think mm. it's the reason they lost, but it certainly didn't help matters. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, speaking of things that are a bit flat, Novak Djokovic has been a bit flat the first two matches. But to be honest, Calvin, I think any um, any risk of him not winning an 11th Australian Open has started to fade away pretty quickly because he made very short work of 
Thomas Martin Echeverri. Um, we'll maybe just come on to Adrian Manorino in a moment because I do want to pick your brain about him. But, I mean, do you think Novak is quote-unquote back? I don't think he ever went. He has these matches, doesn't he? I, you know, I just can't... I, there's no point reading anything into Djokovic until the semi-finals. <laughs> I mean, there's usually not much. Re- there's usually not much point reading anything into the semi-finals if we're honest. No, no especially down here. Um, but he does have Adrian Manorino in the fourth round, who uh, beat Ben Shelton in five sets, about four and a half hours as well. It was um, just. Uh, were you probably going to feel like you're going over old ground here, Calvin? But just for for people who don't know much about Adrian Manorino, why is he such an unusual player? <laughs> Everything about him is unusual. He hits the ball so soft. But his racket, his racket is strung so loose that the ball comes through relatively pacey. Um, mm. And also, it's like he almost like when you watch him in person, and I watched him play doubles in person the other day, it's like because the racket's so soft, it's obviously, in theory, this is actually happening, but obviously I'm exaggerating it somewhat. It's almost like he catches the ball on the racket and he can, <laughs> because the racket goes so deep into the string bed that yeah. he just catches it and then just tosses it where he wants it to go rather than hits it. So it's <laughs> like he's always got the ball on a on a um he's always got the ball like on a lead that he's just like sort that, of like dragging that crazy around. um Pelota game they play in Spain, you know, where they do catch it and then sling it out again. Yeah, but yeah. it's also very it's kinda like that, but but he doesn't really sling it, he just kind of tosses it and, you know, sort of moves it around. I mean he's he's phenomenally talented. I watched it. I watched him in the doubles the other day, and I watched him hit a topspin lob from inside the service line um, <laughs> that, that 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 bounced about three meters inside the baseline, mm. and and over like over Julian Cash and Rob Galloway, who were both big athletic lads who have both got excellent smashers, and mm. like his ability to do things like that and just drop the ball where he wants, um, and he has this astonishing record in five sets that there's no logic to really. That you think he's is he fifteen and one in five setters? That's right. That's wild. I mean, he he, he does look very fit. I mean, I know. Look, I mean, we watched someone. Was it Pavel Kotov the other day who doesn't, but apparently is quite fit, but doesn't look very fit. Let's face it. Um, maybe he's just he wears clothes badly. <laughs> I mean, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I said to a player, and this is not me saying this. So don't give me grief. I said to a player, because I'd not seen Pavel Kotov in person before, and I, after I'd watched that match with you, I went into the, the player restaurant, and I said, just been watching Kotov. He's a little bit weighty, isn't he? And the player goes, he's not weighty, he's fat. <laughs> um, and that was a player who said oh, that. Oh, no. It wasn't one of my players. Um, but, um, yeah, um, that's, that's the case. I mean, the thing with Manorino as well is that I remember, like, this was probably... 12, 13 years ago where you go to futures tournaments sometimes like I, I used to do regularly I don't so much anymore but and you see players turn up at the futures and you think they're just a different level then they won't mm. be hanging around the futures circuit a whole lot I mean I remember Milos Raonic came and just cleaned up Mikhail Yuzny came and did the same I, I, I wasn't at tournaments with him but I mean Carlos Alcaraz was just Basically, I think one is only four futures or something like that. <laughs> now, Adrian Manorino was, was hanging around the futures circuit for a good while. And he was pretty good, but he wasn't pulling trees up. Mm. You know, and that was when he was probably 22, 23, you know, I think. I might have got ages wrong. But he wasn't someone who struck you. But the thing with the French guys, 
and I guess we might get on to Arthur Cazot the other day. Um, another journalist asked me the other day, James, um, is, is Cazot meant to be really good? Is it Cazot or Cazoo? I've always called him uh, Cazot. Relatively. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he said, is Cazot meant to be really good? And I said, well, it, it's, it's an interesting question that because with the French, for a country that has such a production line of players, you never really get a reputation there of being this is a star. I mean, I think Gasquet probably was, yeah, to a degree, and Monfils probably was. But other than that, they have they have these. And I said to him, I, I replied to him, I said, like the thing is, the French always have this group of players who this large group of players who are all seen as good, and then randomly about. 30% of those will turn out to be very, very good. And there's just no way of telling which 30% it's going to be. Mm. Like, because, mm. you know, the, the, there's, there's just no way. Like, Manorino came through, um, you, you know, and Cazot's another one who, you know, I remember I, I first watched him about 18 months ago, and I thought that, you know, he, he's a serious player. But you think that of all the French players, and there's some of them now who were ranked 180, 170, who wouldn't surprise me if they spent their whole career there and wouldn't surprise me if they're 50 in the world a year from now. Mm. Um, what chance do you give Adrian Manorino of securing a first ever win over Novak Djokovic? And you can have between 1% and 4%. 1.1. Um, <laughs> chance. Very slim no, I mean, indeed. No, because the bookies gave... What did the book... Did you say the bookies gave... That's a very four percent. Yeah, I think he's at least the same as that, but he, he, he won't beat Djokovic. <laughs> Good. Um, right. Very finally, uh, because we are getting long for a daily pod, um, the women's draw has fallen apart uh, as we are now used to it doing so. Uh, there's only, I think, about six seeded players, uh, or it might be seven in the uh, last sixteen. Um, the the thing that we are maybe most certain of, and I say this somewhat hesitantly, but Sabalenka versus Goff looks like a, a semi-final. And with Shrontek looking quite fallible at the moment, it maybe looks like that semi-final will be a de facto final. Based on everything that we know and we've seen, Calvin, who do you prefer at the moment out of Goff and Sabalenka? To win it or to beat? Yeah, play? well, to, 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 beat, to beat each other. Oh, um... I think probably Sabalenka. But then God, I predicted that Sabalenka would win the US Open final and she didn't, did she? <laughs> no, um, exactly. I mean, I've now got, I've kind of like, I, I was kind of like not remotely, I didn't have an opinion on Sabalenka previously, but she's really pissed me off with this Saudi Arabia stuff. Um, <laughs> and I know, I hope she loses every match she plays now, if I'm honest. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's, yeah, go on. Well, yeah, just to kind of fill people in um, on this, she was asked uh, the other day about how she felt about the possibility that um, the WTA finals might move to Saudi Arabia. Uh, she has played there before. And she said, uh, well, she, they are, you know, she was asked for her experience. She said, yes, it was an amazing experience, actually. I expected something different. They treated us really well. It was a really amazing atmosphere on the stadium. People are really like sport there. They really like tennis. The atmosphere is incredible. The level of hospitality was definitely way, way, way better than it was in Cancun. Yeah, I'm happy to go there. Um, uh, for me, Calvin, I think I've been disappointed that more WTA players haven't spoken out against it. But 
given the parlous state of the finances in the WTA and the, frankly, inevitability of Saudi Arabia's role in sport over the next 10 years, um, I, I, I struggle to criticise them for not saying anything. But I think enthusiastic consent like that is pretty shameless. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I'd even say, I don't have any evidence of this change, but she, I found like when, when it was in Cancun, and I understand Cancun wasn't a great situation, but she was almost strangely over-vocal about it. And now mm. these comments, it makes me wonder, it makes me a bit cynical yeah. as to, you, you know, is, it, was this convoluted? Like, had she already done some sort of deal with the Saudis? to start pushing for this, you know, because she, she said way more than the other players. And for somebody who never really has criticised anything overly before, to suddenly start criticising Cancun for that, and it just just really, really wound me up about how mm. she's, you know, the stuff that she goes like, well, they were really nice to us. All right, okay, that's fine then. Let's, let's, just, let's just rid everything else. Let's forget about mm. everything else, because they were really nice to some rich and wealthy tennis players when they mm. came to play an exhibition event. And also there wasn't Iaki was on there mm. late with the, the standard bullshit about maybe if we go there, we can ex we can execute change uh, while we're there and knowing yep. full well that when you take the Saudi dollar, you do so on the proviso that you won't try and change anything at all. Yeah. Sh shut up basically is part yeah. of the deal. Um, and finally, I mean, guess it, uh, talking about the women's draw, we shouldn't, um, leave Emma Raducanu's uh, two matches aside. She played a, a three-hour three-setter against Wang Yufan in some pretty tricky conditions out on 15-73, uh, beaten in three sets, of course. Um, I think the last set was 71 minutes in the end. Um, it was pretty pretty tight, quite frankly. Calvin, what do you make of that as a comeback? I think probably we said second round and no injuries was maybe a decent result. Yeah, I mean, she'll be happy enough with that, um, that she got through injury-free, although she faked an injury or an illness for a bit in the third set. I <laughs> Do you think, think it's um, a fake? I mean, she was... No, she didn't fake an injury, she faked an illness, but she was absolutely fine when the point started. She was absolutely fine from the minute the point started to the minute the point ended, the second the point ended. Like, so, you know, I, 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 I wasn't impressed by that at all. I thought it was... You know, something that she, she tends to do and I thought, just get on with the tennis match. She could have beat that girl. She's better than that girl. Um, I also, the part I was least impressed with was the match point. I'd have been absolutely livid as her coach if she'd, she'd have tried that. Like, so she could have, just stayed, she could have was, won the point. It was a drop volley, basically, and ended with both players at the net and Raducanu netted her shot, but she was, it was direct, she was trying to tag her, basically? She wasn't trying to tag her, she was trying to hit the ball straight through her. For no need, yeah. and I, I, I don't really get why she was doing that, other than this this strange, I don't know, personality or brand that they seem to be trying to push for her now. That she's she, she's she's not a nice person, which I find weird because my experience of her is that she is a nice person previously. But I think that, and I've heard that her and her agents. I don't think Nick Cavaday would have anything to do with it, but I think her and her agents are trying to put this. I'm told from people who are in the know that Max Eisenbud wants her to be like Sharapova, who was seen as a massive bitch. But <laughs> that's cost you a tennis match there. Because I think that, yeah. that match was still very much on the table, if she saves that. She could have rolled the ball absolutely anywhere in the court and kept herself in the match and tried to absolutely put the... But she, she would have hurt 
she would have hurt one if she'd have hit her. Mm. It was short. And that's one it was thing if you're range. doing it, if it's absolutely, it was, it was it was one thing if you're doing that and you end up winning the point. I would still have gone. I thought that was a little bit unnecessary, but whatever. She's lost the lost the match on it. Mm. Got out of a grand slam on it. That for me is like, I mean, I thought it was crap. If I'm honest, that mm. absolute crap. That that bit of nonsense. Um, bit of breaking news to end the podcast. Uh, Iga Shontek has been beaten. Uh, by Czech 19-year-old Linda Noskova, 3-6-6-3-6-4. Shontek's um, forehand went to pieces, certainly went to pieces a bit in the second set that I watched, and I'm told uh, continued in the third set. Linda Noskova, Calvin, won the French Open juniors a couple of years ago. I mean, another talented Czech teenager. It's almost a, a cliche. I don't know if you uh, know anything about her already, but I'm sure we're going to hear an awful lot more of her about, about her in the next couple of days. I don't. I'm, I'm going to John McEnroe. I don't know. Never heard of her before. Um, <laughs> uh, John call her a, call her a journey woman, I suppose. But um, I don't. I've, I've, it's one of those, you know. I mean, that's listen, right? There's so many Czech girls and Eastern European girls. I probably have watched her and probably thought she was quite good and just had no idea. You know, there's so many of them. Mm. Like, mm. you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, big win. But again, it's. Has any has any dominant world number one ever lost as many matches as Iga Svontek does? Well, like, I she suppose seems, she's clearly at, the at best. She's clearly the best female. She's clearly the best female player in the world, isn't she? Like quite clearly the best female player in the world, and has been for two and a half years now. Two years. Mm. And mm. how many slams has she won in that period? Just two, two out mm. of eight. Well, I suppose if you go back to the 2022 French Open, which is probably where you think, then it's then it's three slams. So it's French, US, and then French again. Um, no, she, that, 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 the fir- you mean the first French she won? No, the second French she won, 2022. Right, okay, 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 yeah. yeah. So that um, sort of year period, yeah. she won three, and then she went on that 40-match unbeaten run in the middle of that as well. I, I think, you know, she's... I think she's a complicated woman, and I think it, the Grand Slams get to her in a different way. Like, I think she's she's also carrying a bit of a knee problem, it seems, although it looks more like tendonitis to me than an actual sort of yeah, injury, I saw per that. se. She had the little little thin strap on today, didn't she? Which is never great. It's never great, yeah. that, because tendonitis doesn't go away. Mm. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll get more reaction to that. We'll hear from her, of course, over the next uh, 24 mm-hmm. hours, and we'll We'll dig deep into exactly what's happened to the world number one. But um, that's probably all we've got time for. Calvin, thanks for joining. We'll maybe get you uh, on site tomorrow. And I might even get a certain George Belshaw uh, by popular demand to uh, come back on the pod and actually give us some some of his thoughts. But anyway, uh, thanks, Calvin. Thanks for listening. And we'll speak to you all later. Sports Social Podcast Network.